If you don't have a person whom you want to put against an ABM program, you will struggle because it takes daily, weekly focus and management. You can't just set the parameters in your neat piece of tech and it'll do it all for you and off you go. You have to have somebody absorbing and interpreting that and understanding what they need to do with the insight that's being provided. Welcome to Revenue Riser. I'm delighted to kick off season three with a topic that's gaining traction in the market, but which is often misunderstood or deemed to be too complicated for many businesses. We're talking, of course, about account-based marketing. I'm your host, Anna Britnor-Guest, and I'm joined for this conversation by two people who have a great handle on this topic. Helen Brown is founder of Blue Marketing, a specialist tech sector marketing agency, and I came across Helen recently through my network. With a common focus on growing B2B tech companies, we immediately saw eye to eye and I was keen to explore Helen's knowledge of ABM. Steve Bonadio is VP of Global Demand Gen at Evalua, a growing spend management platform. Steve and I originally worked together a few years ago now at Steve's previous employer when I was implementing a tailored sales methodology for the business. And of course, we were keen to make sure that fully aligned with the marketing organization as well. So let's take a look at account-based marketing. Now, if you're listening to this, you probably know that it turns the idea of the wide marketing fishing net on its head. No longer a marketing funnel, but a highly targeted, personalized approach that focuses on one or few accounts. So is it for you and how do you make a success of it? Let's dive in and learn from Helen and Steve. I think one of the things that we've often seen in conversations around ABM are quite a number of misconceptions. So it seems to me a really good place to start this conversation to perhaps pick up on a few of those, unearth them and share where are some of the misconceptions, where do they come from? And through our conversation, perhaps we can address some of those. So Steve, do you want to start us off with some of the things that you see and hear most frequently? Absolutely. And and thank you for inviting me to your podcast. Really happy to be here today. I think there's a few key misconceptions around ABM. Uh, I've been doing ABM in some form or fashion for about the last five or six years. Uh, before, it really was a, a discrete domain that people really are talking about, at least marketers are talking about on a day-to-day basis. And one of the, the key misconceptions that, that I've seen and that I've actually fallen prey to early in the early days of, of my ABM experience is that ABM is a marketing strategy. Uh, And I don't think that could be further from the truth. Uh, As far as I've seen, the successful ABM programs encompass much more than marketing. It encompasses sales. It encompasses customer success. It encompasses the entire go-to-market strategy of an organization and how they're looking to accelerate their pipeline growth and their sales. Obviously, that's the goal for for any company. Um, And from my perspective, uh, when you take a myopic view of ABM, that it is just a a marketing strategy, and even worse, and again, I fell prey to this, that technology is the totality of an ABM strategy, you can find yourself doing things in a very narrow way that don't actually help you achieve your goals with respect to ABM. So I would say... That is one of the bigger misconceptions that I've learned from experience on. Um, and we've worked to, to do quite a bit to bring the organization um, into the fold to align with our counterparts and other parts of the organization 
and to really make ABM, which is somewhat of a misnomer, part and parcel of how we go to market as an organization. I would say another key misconception, uh, Anna and Helen, is uh, the fact that if we implement an ABM platform or we we put together an ABM strategy, it's going to bring in a ton of new leads into our business. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Um, ABM, by its very definition, is focused on accounts and companies um, and understanding what is driving those companies and the people in those companies, of course, um, and where they are in their respective journeys with respect to uh, their purchasing process. And so when I was rolling out ABM um, in some of the early years, I would get questions from my SDRs or my sales guys and gals, and they would say, well, where are the leads? Um, it was sort of the, the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross question that I uh, didn't quite expect, but I had to do quite a bit of education around what an ABM platform and strategy can do for us in terms of helping us identify the right priorities in terms of accounts to target, um, helping us to identify where we can win as an organization. So developing customer profiles or ICPs um, to understanding how we're engaged with those accounts today or what intent buying signals those organizations are sending and how to sort of triangulate all that data so that instead of casting a really wide net and going after hundreds or even thousands of accounts from a marketing and sales perspective, we've honed in on those specific accounts that we feel we can win and, and, and win with their business. Uh, and so I think expecting leads from a ABM campaign, sure, leads will come in in some form or fashion. They just might not be the leads that you expect. A contact goes MQL and they get followed up on and they enter the pipeline and ultimately you're building the buying teams and, and it goes through the sales cycle. That stuff still happens and it's important, but ABM is, is taking a much wider net and making it much smaller and catching that big fish at the end of the day. And Steve, I think an interesting reflection on what you said there in terms of it's targeting specific accounts, right? So if you think about another misconception that I often hear said is it's just for enterprise businesses. It costs too much money. You know, doing an ABM program is going to be for starters, a six-figure investment in some sort of tech and every single time, my answer is not necessarily. And I think the thing that I would encourage people to think about is not who you are as a business and how big your business is, but who is it that you're targeting? How big are their businesses? So if you take one-to-one -one ABM, for example, you could be a five-person company, a tech company, but if you're selling into large enterprise accounts and you've got a total number of accounts that's sub-50, then ABM is definitely an option that it is worth considering because you're thinking about what is my acquisition cost of that account versus what's the lifetime value of that account. Those are the mechanics that make it either worthwhile or not worthwhile in terms of how much time and or budget you want to invest. So yeah, purely based on that, for me, it definitely isn't just about the big guys. And another thing I would say on a slightly different tack is that there's loads of research and information about ABM on the web. You can go to loads of detail or you can just read the headlines. But if you're there, if you're the marketing director or sales person within a, a business, just think about who's writing that material and what's their objective. Because my reflection on, on who spends the most money in the market talking about ABM 
is that it is the tech vendors. So it's not that that information is not relevant. It is. But just be aware of who it's coming from, because it does give a somewhat one-sided perspective on how critical that technology is to you getting started in ABM. I completely agree, Helen. And I think there there are emerging sources of of credible data coming out from uh, some of the associations and industry analyst community around more than just the ABM tech and the platform, but on the process and how you you build the strategy. And when I talked earlier about, you know, it goes well beyond marketing. And one of the things we, we did recently um, was to really look at the sales side of ABM and how we really focus and prioritize uh, their efforts. Um, so it became much more of a marketing platform that we're doing some advertising and we're collecting intent data um, and we're maybe you know driving the needle a little bit, which I think the tech vendors do very, very well, to how do we restructure the organization so that rather than let's say one region is focused on 100 target accounts and maybe each quarter that they they create an opportunity in 10 of those. So that would be a 10% conversion rate. I would much rather have them focusing on 10 accounts where we think we can win and converting three or four of those for a 30 or 40% conversion rate. And I think that's where the, the fundamental shift from sort of, it started as a tech space to do some advertising, to gather some intent data, to it's become a, a pervasive throughout the organization and needs to be pervasive and a process that everybody is aligned around, I think is the real game changer in terms of the evolution of the market and the evolution of how we think about uh, selling and marketing together. You raise a really interesting point, I think there, Steve, because one of the challenges for growing companies is where do we put our resources? Where do we spend our time and our effort and our money? And in in nearly all of those companies, I use a tool that looks at how a team's performing and so on. And one of the big things that comes out of that is not enough resources to get the job done. And and so I think you know, this plays very strongly into that question of where do we put our time and effort? Because I see very often sales teams that are spread very thin and they, they're not getting that real deep penetration and understanding and insight into their customers and their prospects because they're trying to cover too many. And salespeople never like their territory to be shrunk because it feels like there's less opportunity. But you know what we're talking here about is you know trying to catch the big fish in the small pond rather than trying to catch lots of small fish in a big pond, isn't it? And I think it's a really important point for any company. And Helen, I'll, I'll bring you in in a second here because you talked about a five-person company selling into enterprise. Well, you just do not have the people, the, the resources, probably the money to go after hundreds of enterprise accounts if you're a five-person business. And so you've got to be smart about how you how you work. You've got to be focused and you've got to pick the ones that you can win. So I guess that brings us into a question of if you are in that sort of space, how do you get started with all of this? What, what are some of the entry points that you can do that don't require big budgets, lots of people, large teams, et cetera? I think like any big ambitious program don't dive in spend loads of money on technology that you haven't yet proven you either need or know how you need to deliver for you I think that comes a little bit later so first of all align your leadership your sales and your marketing team together 
So as Steve already said, this is not a marketing activity. This is about sales, marketing, and customer success coming together. But you also need to be cognizant, I think, of what what is the expectation of your CEO or your board? Because if they're used to looking to, for example, your marketing team and, uh, and driving you on X number of NQLs per quarter, and you turn up to that top table with a plan for ABM, there's going to be a mismatch. So then it's about setting the expectations. What do we want to achieve as a business? It doesn't necessarily need to be a new account. You'd be looking to for the marketing team to come to the table, having researched that account in a lot of detail, having understood who the different members of the buying center are. So this is taking a classic marketing buyer persona to another level of detail to understand decision makers and influencers, and then to start breaking down your message so that it connects with those decision makers and influencers. It connects about what they care about. So you're about as far away from pushing a product message as a business as you could be, and you're inverting it completely to your customer's environment. And you can then build a few kind of very quick to create, but lightweight digital assets that can support a conversation. So you can start there and run that process through learning how to change the level and depth of engagement between marketing and sales, what kind of depth of information you need to go to, whether it's working for you and whether the value is there to to be so focused as in taking a one-to-one approach, or actually, if you can start to see similarities across groups of accounts based on needs or behaviors, in which case you would group them to get yourself greater scale. And then I think only at that point, you'd start to get a feel of what kind of technology you might need or may not need to support your delivery. So again, if you're a small business, it might be something you want to do manually. If you're larger or depending on on the product that you're selling, you absolutely might want to look at technology options and that would be the right time to do it rather than when everybody's new, everything's new, you just don't know where to begin. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, Helen. And it's how I've approached things in, in past lives. You can bite off a lot with a technology platform, as you mentioned earlier, can be expensive. It can be time-consuming to implement. I think we, as marketers, we're inundated with with fresh technology all the time, which makes our our job exciting and, and almost new every every month or every six months as as new things come out. And we do need to be technology enabled. But to your point around picking a handful of accounts, really getting to know those accounts, getting focused on those accounts, building out those buying teams understanding how we're engaging with those accounts. You, know, you don't need an ABM platform to do that. Where you, you probably are going to need an ABM platform, as you said, is, is to gain more intelligence around what these organizations are doing or what they're thinking, what their intent is, how they're engaging with you today, but also to scale. And, and that's really where I think I see a lot of my peers struggling is how do they scale ABM programs? Um, how do they get that right mix of one-to-one, one-to-few, one-to-many. Where does that, where do each of those, we've all seen that pyramid or many of us have, um, how does that then align to the buyer journey and how do we support those journeys? And we've piloted various things uh, with one, two accounts. We've piloted running sort of one-to-few with some industries like healthcare and retail and financial services um, the important thing that I'll, I'll just note um, based on your comments, which I agree with completely, is we need to also understand what we want to measure or what the projected outcomes of whatever we're doing, whether it's technology enabled or completely manual and you're just dipping your toes and piloting things. 
what do we ultimately want to achieve? And then what constitutes success? Because I thought you brought up a really good point. When you when you mentioned that, you know, CMO is going into the, the boardroom talking about ABM and, you know, all of the metrics are sort of geared around the waterfall that includes MQLs, SQLs, and sort of traditional marketing sales pipelines. And you start to implement these programs and you see everything sort of go down, at least at the top of the funnel. They're like, what, what's ABM doing for us? And this gets back to, you know, my education bit at the at, at, at first is it's not about leads. And if you go into it with that expectation, uh, you're going to be sorely disappointed. The leads will come, um, but if they might look like different leads than you're accustomed to uh, looking at. Good question here around, you know, what should we be measuring? So. Steve, do you want to continue on that point a little bit around what are some of the things that you've in that education process that you've got people to look at? Because you're absolutely right. You know, people are used to quite volume driven metrics quite often. And this is the opposite. So what's what's the education process and what have you got people to focus on in terms of useful metrics to look at? Yeah, I think the the ultimate useful metric is are you closing business with the accounts that you're uh, you're targeting with your ABM efforts, whatever those efforts might look like. The the problem with focusing just on closed one business is that many companies, um, at least in in my industry, enterprise software have very 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 long sales cycles, um, six months, nine months, a year, what have you. And so uh, it's important to understand at the end of the day attribution and and what's driving that one closed one business. Uh, but we would also look at things like how much pipeline have we generated from these programs and kind of working your, your way um, back up the funnel from there to um, putting in place engagement scores for the accounts um, that you're targeting with your ABM programs. Uh, and those scores could be a, a, a combination of all the ways in which you're touching those accounts and the people in those accounts with your marketing campaigns, your marketing programs. Uh, with your SDRs, with your salespeople, um, putting in place sort of an account scoring model is how, how I would describe it. Different vendors describe it in different ways, but really understanding if we engage this bucket of accounts the traditional way, and then we engage this bucket of accounts with our, our new sort of ABM approach, can we tell, is there a delta in engagement scores and conversion rates uh, between those accounts? Are the average deal sizes bigger or smaller? Is the sales cycle or the top of funnel cycle? Are you converting more quickly or less quickly? So traditional metrics, but applied to ABM. And one of the things I learned really quickly is it's really good to A-B test some of this, to understand how you are improving your efforts, because that's what you can then go back to the board uh, or your CEO and, and say, look, we invested this much. We increased our conversion rates by X. We increased our average selling price by Y, and we, you know, increased the, velo- the velocity uh, to which we got to stage five opportunity or stage six shortlist, whatever your stages may be, by twenty percent. Let's say. So I think those are all really important metrics, and I think ABM testing is a way, at least at first, to help almost sell your case. And, and I also think that once you start to adopt technology, the platforms you will adopt, I uh, would focus a lot on what analytics they can bring to bear. Some platforms talk about engagement, some talk about lift and, and other metrics that are sort of purely in the ABM realm and I think are nice and important. But 
I think at the end of the day, if if you're not driving new opportunities, new pipeline, and ultimately closed one business into the organization, then you know what is the point of an ABM program or I guess any other marketing program? And actually, I think how successful a business can be in measuring the impact of ABM to a large extent is dependent on how good they are at measuring their business today. What is their own CRM capable of today? So again, back to that technology layer, don't add in more layers of complexity until you've figured out what you can actually get from what you've already got, because you can't show that forward-looking difference as you're mentioning, Steve, unless you've got a really clear view of what your metrics are right now. And it's it's funny, Helen, because I think a lot of companies do not have those metrics um, in place and able to report on them in a Sort of reliable and consistent and systematic way, uh, and I've been with companies uh, that I've joined where you know that's been a major focus is to make sure that that CRM data is as good and clean and high quality as possible. Uh, but then to make sure that when you're looking at things like conversion rates and, and trying to build waterfall models and things that marketers and sales ops love to do, that you're lined on that and you're clear on on what the goals are and you've established that baseline because you're completely right. Without that baseline, you don't know if you've improved or you've devolved um, in some cases. Um, Maybe these ABM programs are taking up so much time from your marketing and sales team that they're not generating any lift. They're not generating any engagement. They're not generating any substantial improvements in conversion rates or average selling price or, or opportunities created. And that's good to know too, because that then enables you to sort of rethink your approach and maybe change things or look at alternate technology solutions that might be more applicable or germane for, for your business. There's a lot of really great tech out there, but it's not a one-size-fits-all model. So you really got to be you know thinking about what are your goals, what are your KPIs, measuring those, and then making sure you're aligning whatever technology you're looking at to, to those goals. I think this really touches on something that I see a lot in companies, which is that there's often whatever whatever marketing strategies they use, there's an there's an approach and something that's fairly well understood in terms of generating those early leads, which we've talked about really turning on its head here. But actually, what is what is not consistent in many cases is how opportunities move through a pipeline. So we talked about CRM, but those stages through a forecast are often not clearly defined. They're not clearly understood. The sales team doesn't have a shared understanding of what the exit and entry points are to move something from one stage to another. And if they do, it's usually based on a sales activity. So have we done a demo? Have we done a proposal, et cetera? Rather than has the customer done something in their buying journey that means that they've met a new milestone? And that's something I spend a lot of time with companies working on because once you get to that point, and you are moving things through your forecast and managing your pipeline based on customer activity and customer milestones in their journey, then you then you get to that point that you were talking about, Steve, where you can see, are we speeding things up? How, what's our conversion rate through those stages? And you've got a much clearer picture on what's actually happening. But if you're relying on everybody with their own interpretation, then it's actually very hard to really pull anything out of out of that. So I think that's something that's really worth thinking about. What else should we be thinking about, Helen, let's come to you, in terms of some of the success factors and what makes the difference between doing this well and seeing the right results and, and not doing so? I was actually just reflecting there as you were talking, um, Anna, that one of the things we haven't talked about is the importance of 
message and I think agility around your message. So because ABN typically, it's a long-term play. You don't you don't say, oh, I'm just going to do this for two months and I'll come out with, with the results. We've already kind of gone through the, the where's and why's of that. But what that means is that you not not everything you do and everything that you start will be right first time. So, Steve, you talked about A-B testing, and I think it's the same thing when it comes to your message. So the reason that we would never start an ABM program at scale is because you haven't proven your methodology, you haven't proven your message yet. So we would either start with one account, one-to-one, or one particular sector to really understand have we, we think we've got the right hook, but until you've delivered it and you've had success on the back of it, you don't actually know that. You could research your account, you could understand you know, everything in their financial reports, you can catch up with the salesperson and, and really see what was the last conversation. But there could still be a miss in terms of your product. So I think you have to be prepared to be really agile with your message. You might create something and put it to market in some sort of digital content, such as an infographic or, or a short report. If it doesn't hit the mark with that one account, don't use it again. You need to change it. You need to figure out what, what it hasn't and why it hasn't succeeded. And I think that's where when it comes to, you know, what resources do you need to make ABM a success? The budget can go up or down and the scale of it can can expand or contract. But you do need somebody focused on this. If you sit in there today as a, as a marketing director or marketing leader and you don't have a person whom you want to put against an ABM program with some outsourced additional support, you will struggle because it takes daily, weekly focus and management. You can't just set the parameters in your neat piece of tech and it'll do it all for you and off you go. Even when you've got the right technology there, you have to have somebody absorbing and interpreting that and understanding what they need to do with the insight that's being provided and understanding if the message is hitting requirements. So I think that's a really a really important element, certainly from a marketing perspective. And again, the smaller business you are, the, the tighter you are to your budget. You don't want to be creating content and materials until you really know the message is on point. Otherwise, you're throwing your marketing pounds or dollars down the drain. Yeah, I think that's really important, Helen. You mentioned resources, and this is this is an interesting thing because as, as I've launched, you know, many ABM campaigns, I've, I'm almost shocked how many resources and how many disparate skill sets it takes to to run, let's say, even a single one to one program. You need subject matter experts to your point around the messaging. You need people who can write really good copy. And then you need the people who make them even better, like the copy editors. You need design people, people who can put together really beautiful, compelling designs. You need technology people or at least someone with some rushing knowledge how to build email nurture campaigns and landing pages and other things. It's a whole team effort to actually build out these things, these campaigns, these ABM campaigns. And uh, I, I, I think the level of effort is, you know, once you start to dip your toes and, and start to take a pilot approach, start to run some one-on-one campaigns, you're going to learn that it is a lot of effort. And then your goal should be, okay, this is working for us. We've measured it. We've compared it against the baseline. Now, how do we scale? And scaling is going to involve people, it's going to involve new processes, it's going to involve technology. And they're all sort of working together to help you get to that scale. But uh, I personally am shocked by how much work goes into some of these campaigns. It's it's almost like putting on, you know, a major trade show 
where a thousand of your customers are going to show up. Just think about all the hands in that cookie jar making a production like that come off. Maybe it's not that severe or time consuming or that much of a level of effort, but it's it's a good deal of effort that folks should be prepared for as they embark down this road if they truly want to get it right. And as with anything, there are two ways that people can resource. One is either in-house. So some businesses do build in-house ABN teams. They give each person a certain number of accounts that they are that they look after and they run that program. The alternative, of course, is to have a central kind of program management approach and then outsource to an agency. And it might be that you want agency support to help you whilst you're learning to understand what's needed, what approaches you can take. And then you might want to bring that in-house later on. But either way, ABM is a it's a very specific process, but it's essentially a microcosm of all elements of marketing, which is a hugely fraud skill set, as you said, Steve. Yeah, I think, you know, also there's actually a third approach, which I've embraced in past lives is it is a centralized global function in that they're driving for the frameworks and the best practices. There are regional ABM experts that understand their territories. So running ABM programs um, in North America is very different than running them in, in Europe or even in specific European countries, as we've learned. Uh, and, and let's not forget about our friends in APAC. All very different cultures all respond very differently to different types of messages, how you communicate those messages. So that regional overlay to understand the nuances of their specific territories. And then in some cases where there's a lot of heavy lifting, some of those regional ABM marketing directors might be working with agencies in their regions. So it's a centralized function with some decentralization to handle sort of local needs or regional needs, but also working with experts in the space who further understand those specific markets and understand sort of how to communicate into those markets and, and can help um, as a resource to you know, not only be more agile, but to accelerate the development of all the pieces that go into an ABM program and get them out the door into a, to a live campaign. I think that brings us back to a point that we talked about a little bit earlier on as well, doesn't it, in terms of the messaging. And Steve, you've just been talking about the regional approach as part of that. Um, and Helen, you were talking about getting the right messaging and testing that. And is it is it landing well? What's been your experiences? I think you probably both had slightly different experiences here, but what have been your experiences of companies actually getting their heads around this messaging from the customer perspective? Because very often we hear about value propositions. A lot of it ends up being about our products and our service and what we do, not about the problems and the challenges and the opportunities that the customer is trying to address. So what's been your experience of really getting that messages in in the customer's language, in their shoes, in a way that resonates with them rather than about it being a product pitch, to put it it bluntly? So we have a really particular approach that we take. And a lot of your audience may have read or heard of a book called The Challenger Sale Methodology. And I know that you have, and Stephen, we spoke previously. So we've developed something that we call The Challenger marketing methodology, if you like, what we do, and and this is dependent, of course, on what your product is and how well you are able to define the benefits it delivers for your audience. But let's take a tech business that delivers time, efficiency, resource savings, maybe some carbon savings because of the nature of what it does. 
the way that we would actually get that message across, this is if you're talking in a um, one-to-one level, if you want to do it for one-to-few, then you simply aggregate, but you'd actually calculate specific benefits for that customer. So you get away from the generic, we can help improve your efficiency by 5%, and you actually make a statement say, we've made the following assumptions, we have researched your business, and here's the specific statement that we think we can deliver to you. Now, oftentimes, when you first come to a conversation with sales about that, there can be some reticence, some concern about putting figures that are not confirmed, if you like, in front of your customer. But the point is, today's world, and and we started doing this during COVID when everybody was at home and suddenly digital, everything just took off and and salespeople couldn't meet face-to-face. You have to cut through the noise. And how do you cut through noise? Be specific. So the point is, whether that figure that you've got on a piece of paper is right to the last £10 or not, doesn't matter, but it starts a conversation. You want it to be specific enough that somebody would open it and think, well, that's interesting. Well, I agree with that. No, I'm not sure they've got that quite right, but my because I've my assumptions are different. But there's your opening to a conversation. So one way of being to answer your question and a really specific and audience focus is to quite literally frame it and phrase it the benefits to them directly. And then you serve that through various, you know, simple pieces of digital content. That way you're demonstrating what your product does, but to them in their language. That's really interesting, Helen. And I agree. You know, one of the things I've seen from my experience when when we when we approach marketing as a whole, at least at the top of funnel where we're trying to generate awareness, we never really talk about us. It's all about thought leadership content. Even though technically in a B2B marketing world, you might be introducing case studies further down funnel, we actually found for our ABM programs, when we talk about the benefits that our customers in specific industries are achieving with our solution, and then we extrapolate that to more broadly to different regions or different industries, those have been some of the highest performing ABM campaigns in terms of engagement and opportunity creation that, that we built to date. It, it wasn't about us. It's what our customers achieved. And you can infer from that that it was, you know, we played a part in getting them to that, but it was never sort of positioned as, you know, we did this. And because of that, you know, our customer was successful. And I think as you, you think about how you can relate to, you know, folks that you're trying to target, it's an approach that has worked really really well for us at the top of the funnel. And then as you sort of work your way down the funnel, you might obviously start talking more about you and your solutions and and demos come at some point in the process. They always do, but um, never talk about yourself at the beginning. That is one of my mantras. I think the other thing to note is the importance of timing, which is what, of course, when you have the buyer intent data, for example, really helps you understand at what point in time a business may be surging with an interest in an area that's relevant to you. But if there's something happening in the external environment that makes the timing of your approach to them ideal, then you can potentially go in at a different phase in that buying cycle because they, they may not have gone through that process with you, but they might have a burning need for, for what you do today. So that's another relevant thing to keep an eye on in terms of what message do you approach with. It's tapping into that uh, you know, external environment, which is classic kind of 
pestle analysis if you want the kind of consultancy language for it, but it's just thinking about your audience. I think we've touched on quite a number of topics uh, in our conversation so far, and I'm thinking back to some of those misconceptions that we started with around, you know, it's, it's not really about marketing, it's about the whole company. And I think we've talked quite a bit about how that's true and, and the, the way in which the company needs to work together across multiple functions to, to do that. And, and Steve, you know, I think you also made that point about the education within the business to make sure that everybody understands what the right expectations are. And, and that, I think, breaks down that misconception about this is about fast lead gen or volume of lead gen and that we should be thinking about companies and people and getting that message really aligned. I think we've also talked about how to make take those small steps, that it isn't just about large enterprises, that it that it's an investment in time and effort and potentially money to be that focused, but it's about what return is that going to give you. We've also talked about how you can get started without being reliant on technology. And in all of that, I think given some good tips and ideas of where to start and how to build. So by way of wrapping up our conversation, is there anything else that we've missed that you want to add? And, and what would be your parting comments to a revenue or a marketing leader who's who's either getting started on this journey or, or wants to really ramp up and improve how they're doing this? Two things I would say. If you're in that position where, where you want to kick off a program, then one of the most important things is the conversation you have to get started with your board or your, or your CEO to set those expectations. If you aren't aligned up front, you will have an uphill battle. And, and that's not what this is about. This is about marketing and sales and customer um, success coming together to increase value for your business. And that's the level of conversation you need to have. If you're being driven volume of leads in MQL, then maybe this is not the right time for you to do this. And the second thing would be in all of the weird and the bang of all this new technology and AVM processes and everything else, which are really, really important, just not to forget the importance of actually really good message, really good connection to your audience, understanding who your buyers are. Some of those marketing fundamentals that maybe they've been in place for years, but maybe something's changed in your market. Maybe your portfolio is is slightly different, gives you new capability or new competitors that come in. And actually, before you get too far down the road of kicking off a big ABM campaign, just make sure you've got some of those fundamentals lined up or, or refreshed. Based on, on Helen's excellent comments around, uh, it's not just marketing, it is the broader organization, I think can't be understated. ABM shouldn't be called ABM, it, it should be called AB, AB something, but uh, it really is about fundamentally rethinking the entire go-to-market strategy of your organization when done right. So I think that's an important point. And that shouldn't scare you because it, it will not and does not need to happen overnight. It's been, in many of my experiences, a, a multi-year journey to get there. But that journey is not only fulfilling and adventurous, but getting to you know an end state where you've dramatically improved your ability to generate opportunities and, and close new business or additional business with your existing customers. It's quite fulfilling. I guess the second piece I'll just reiterate is that, uh, and I think Helen and I both agree wholeheartedly on this, you don't need technology and technology is not the totality of a strategy. It's important for scaling and it's important for measuring. Uh, but if you're just getting started you don't need to go out and spend 50 grand or 25 grand or 100 grand 
on an ABM platform. So, you know, it's important to, to take those baby steps, that pilot approach that Helen talked about as you think about what your approach is going to be. And I guess the final point, Anna and Helen, would be KPIs, measure, 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 compare, compare, compare. Make sure you've put that framework in place so that you're you're just not you know shooting shooting in the dark. Okay, you really need to be hyper focused on on what constitutes success in your mind. And back to Anna's point, um, as you're having those conversations, particularly for organizations that have been doing things a very different way for a very long time, and then you need to go and explain to your CEO or your board that you're going to be trying it a different way, you need to be prepared to come back with the data that says, guess what? We tried this for nine months or six months uh, or a year. Here's how we improved over the baseline of how we would be doing it. My recommendation, Mr. and Ms. CEO, is to double down or triple down our investment in ABM after you've really gotten those learnings and that experience in, in let's say, year one. Thank you both. I think there's loads to take from this conversation. I think the bit that really resonates with me and anybody that's worked with me will know that this is uh, something I'm constantly talking about, but it's that really putting yourself in the customer's shoes and really thinking about things from the customer's perspective. And I think, you know, without without that, it's very hard to build out an ABM campaign that's really going to deliver on the kinds of results that we've talked about. Um, so thank you both very much. I'll put your uh, LinkedIn Uh, links in the show notes for anybody that wants to get in touch with you both there's plenty more that we can discuss in future conversations i'm sure but for now thank you both very much thanks for having me anna thank you anna thank you helen a lot to dig into there including very practical tips to get you started with your abm strategy really brought to life with helen and steve's own experiences so thank you once again to helen brown and steve bonadio for sharing their wisdom If you like this episode, please spread the word by sharing with someone that you think would also enjoy this. And coming up in our next episode, I'm joined by Steve Warburton of Zen and Matt Hathorn of Recur to expand and update our conversation on what makes a successful partner. If you missed our first conversation, then take a listen to Season 2, Episode 2, and join me next time where we'll explore the latest in this fast-evolving ecosystem. See you then.